Hello, my name is Dr. Harry Singh, the host of the Dentist Pocket Playbook podcast, helping you grow your facial techniques business. Very excited on today's guest. He's probably one of the first people I met when I started my aesthetics um, journey. Um, not saying he's old, but he's one of the first people I met in the industry and someone I respected for a long time, looked up to and seen going for different projects. So big welcome to Juan Myers. Thanks for your kind introduction, Harry. And yeah, I am. I, I think I'm approaching 60 soon. So uh, I don't know whether that's old or not nowadays, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely not young. <laughs> I, know. I was 50 a couple of months ago, so <laughs> catching up on you there. Yes. So if people have been living under a rock or in a cave for the last 20, 30 years and don't know who you are, if you just want to give a small introduction about yourself, your background, how you got into aesthetics, your journey and what your company doing, all yours. Yeah. Sure, Harry. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess I've got a biology background, biological sciences, ended up working in the pharmaceutical industry and then ended up working for a what was then a very small company called Allegan, who introduced, <laughs> believe it or not, it was very, was very small back then, Botox in 1994. Okay. Uh, and obviously back then uh, it was for strabismus, uh, which is what it was launched for. But very quickly, we had some of the pioneering plastic surgeons in Harley Street, who were, of course, already using Disport because that was available yeah. um, for aesthetic purposes, who wanted to learn more. Um, back then, you could uh, actually respond to uh, inquiries about unlicensed medications, which I did do. Yeah. And kind of long story short, I kind of handled that and managed it until it was uh, well, until it was licensed in 2002. So it was quite a long while, really. Yeah. But of course, it grew exponentially. And then uh, you know, we saw as myself and Martin Rowe, who eventually was my business partner as well, an opportunity to kind of come out in 2002. Um, and we initially started working with Wigmore Medical to set them up as a, like a one-stop shop uh, back then for toxins and fillers. Um, we helped them launch the face conference. Uh, we launched the consulting room, which is an aesthetic information website for consumers in the industry. And then since then, we've done all sorts of stuff. Um, I've been involved in running a clinic uh, with Dr. David Eccleston, I think you'll know quite well. Yeah. Um, so that was that was in 2005, and I was involved in that for a long time, taking it from three to nine treatment rooms. Um, and involved in distribution, various products, but Hydrofacial is probably one of the most successful ones and probably yeah. one of the best ones known as well. So yeah, all sorts of different stuff, really. Uh, really enjoyed it. So kind of, I've kind of like descaled stuff, really. I've sold pretty much everything I've been involved in. Um, helping my daughter, uh, she she launched the clinic a couple of years ago, so I'm working with her um, in Warwickshire, and uh, another daughter who's actually doing something very different, but more in the sustainability side of things. So she makes kimchi and sauerkraut. Oh. Um, and now I'm doing some coaching, uh, more at a high level with um, sort of, you know, with with clinic owners rather than sort of startups. Yeah. Um, and also uh, banging on about sustainability, I suppose, um, because I also uh, I've also got uh, one and a half acres. I'm very lucky to have that. And I'm kind of trying to turn that into a food forest. So permaculture is a really interesting topic uh, that I'm uh, I'm involved in because okay. going right right back to my roots i was a grower actually I, I i lived on a market garden so um and and obviously in my biology as well side of things so uh, yeah i'm trying to trying to do that which is a 10-year project i'd say at least so plenty to keep me busy luckily, luckily you didn't do chemistry otherwise you'd be breaking bad or something <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah I, yeah 
there. Um, obviously, um, and we actually did meet at one a non, because like you, I do a lot of um, non-clinical courses attend, and we met at one of the internet marketing. I think I still owe you the money for lunch. You bought me on that day. Oh, wow. Well, uh, <laughs> that's fine, Harry. <laughs> so in terms of um, consulting, um, was that, do you see a demand in that, or do you see a gap in the market when you set that up first? Well, I think back then, uh, you know, it, it was the evolution of the web for, from an information perspective. Uh, we'd amassed, uh, I suppose, quite a lot of information and experience about the emerging, back then in 2002, the landscape. You know, you had IPL lasers, uh, yeah. hair removal to two removal, uh, obviously, Restylane, two toxins, uh, cosmeceuticals, you know, was emerging as well. And the concept, I suppose, you know, with, what, 1998, I suppose, courthouse clinics and then laser care as well as it was back then, which is now skin, were the first what I would call medically led aesthetic clinics. And, and a lot of other medics kind of started to come into the market and see an opportunity. So uh, I, we, we thought that, it, that there was very little there from a consumer perspective that provided good quality information. Yeah. Um, because as you know, like PR and press articles on this, are still as inaccurate now as they were back then. Yeah. Um, and also we wanted something there that was also informative for clinic owners as well, people who wanted to get into the business. Um, so it was kind of a dual model, really. It's a membership model from a clinic perspective, but a free model from a consumer information perspective. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, I mean, many, many other iterations, as you know, have kind of come on from since then. I oh. think we were probably the first with the concept and we're still going, what, 20 years later. So, No, no, it's really good. Yeah. And then over that time, what have you seen change in aesthetics in terms of trends? Oh, my God, a huge amount. And I've been involved in some of them as well. So um, I think I've seen a lot of things kind of come and go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you look at things like isologen, for instance, you know, which is a really interesting concept. Yeah. And yeah. we were involved in that as a clinic as well, you know, taking biopsies from the behind the back of people's ear, yeah. stitching that up, sending it off to London to actually grow up these and extract out the fibroblasts and cell lines and then injecting those fibroblasts back into the skin, yeah. which, of course, as a concept and as a scientific concept was really interesting because, most of, uh, I guess, cosmeceuticals or even other things that are trying to stimulate fibroblasts, yeah. you know, growth factors, all that kind of stuff. You're just stimulating the fibroblasts you got. And it seemed mm. to be really kind of sexy to just multiply them and stick a whole load back in the face. But um, it didn't work for two reasons. Uh, number one, it was very expensive. Uh, it was around about 4000 for the consumer plus mm. around 2000 for the clinic to actually get those cell lines grown up. So it was, uh -huh. you know, it was expensive for the clinic owner as well. Um, and also the results that you ended up with was subtle. Yeah. So at that price point, uh, it didn't really kind of hit the bang for the buck. And also Isologen actually got their cost of goods wrong as well. They couldn't make it work as a business model, even at £2,000. So, uh -huh. so it came and went very quickly, including actually, and uh, you know, I learned a lot from that around being an early adopter, um, all sorts of issues if you look back then with lawsuits um and uh yeah yeah so uh you know vervolta is another one but you know vervolta was looking at allergenic fibroblasts so that was basically mashed up foreskins which is another <laughs> really interesting area again one that actually i was involved in with with david eccleston from a trial perspective yeah, yeah. um but never made it commercially 
I mean, you know, we've seen stuff going from uh, more aggressive to less aggressive. So, you know, resurfacing to fractional concepts of all sorts. Yeah. Um, where, again, you know, you've got that, I suppose, median line between an observable effective result and limited downtime. And as you know, the bigger result, generally you need more downtime, but yeah. most people don't want that. Um, and also don't want the potential associated side effects with that. So, you know, I remember I remember the first kind of fractional concepts when they came out. You know, that was quite exciting, actually, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, since then, you know, we've extended into, you know, the body contouring side of things, obviously, which wasn't there probably 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, cryolipolysis was the big one, wasn't it? And now I think a lot of people are moving away from that um yeah. and particularly because of the paradoxical hyperadiposity as well so you know it was always there as a side effect yeah, yeah. nobody ever really knew and understood what level it was hmm. but it's a problem to treat and of course generally you need liposuction for that which is the whole reason for not having <laughs> liposuction yeah. is going for a, you know and i think body contouring whatever device you're looking at there the end point is much more difficult um to kind of get to and promise because of the dietary aspects that you can't really control yeah um internal um hormones that kind of stuff you know uh bioidentical hormones been around for quite a long while but it hasn't really taken off i suppose mm -hmm. but you know it's a recent menopause conference earlier on this year where that i had think i had a really good attendance yeah um but i think the problem with all of that is generally uh you can make more from doing stuff to people, you know, with devices or injectables per hour out of a treatment room that you can by consulting and prescribing. Yeah, yeah. That's the bottom line of it, really. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, lucky, like we've been in the industry, you get these fads, but you always end up with your basic bread and butter injectables. Because as And also, you said, yeah, you can control the result. It's not as patient-dependent as body treatments because I've dabbled in fat-dissolving injections. Oh. Patients say they've got a perfect diet. Six months later, they're coming with McDonald's bag and KFC and stuff and thinking, you've obviously just been lying and that's why I haven't got any difference. So, yeah, it's managing those patient expectations. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the injectables is still the sweet part of the marketplace, without yeah. a doubt, but not an easy model because, as you know, non-medical people now are playing in the market and price points have been driven down. Yeah. Having said that, I think if you're well-trained and skilled, you can elevate yourself uh, from, from those people. Uh, and if you're really good at total facial contouring and you're good at marketing, yeah. um, you know, there's so much more that a, a very well-skilled practitioner can do than now than they could do 20 years ago, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, some of the results are pretty stunning, actually. Um, that You can get, you know, from profile of the face to obviously... You know, people in their 60s and 70s uh, uh, have got a lot of volume loss. So you can make a huge difference, too, in a relatively short space of time, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. So I think there's still a massive level of misunderstanding around that from yeah. a consumer perspective. Um, and I think the baby boomers, you know, uh, are your targets for sure. You know, they're all coming now, getting their pension pots, maybe that 25% lump sum. Yeah, yeah, and you know maybe you want to go and go. Well, why don't you make yourself feel and look better instead of paying for a cruise or something like that? So yeah, I've seen it in my clinic. It's more yeah, that older group are going and they go. I've got, I've retired. I've got money now. I want to. I've been looking after the kids. The kids are off. I've got time, and it's time to look after myself. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think there's a, 
you know, if you're really focused on that from a marketing perspective, and I don't think a lot of people are very focused when they're injectables, especially when they run a multi-service clinic, you know, the injectables get a bit lost in with all the other stuff. And, and in some ways, people put more emphasis around trying to market a machine because they spent 80 grand on it. Yeah, yeah. And and have to keep that busy because they're paying a lease on it and whatever. But more often than not, struggle to actually make that add up with the you know the the cost per acquisition of a paying customer, yeah. um, and and lose sight of where the actual real bread and butter and profit is. You know, ultimately. You know, I've seen this recently being a couple of clinics that open and are specialising in non-injectable treatments, just machine and devices. We'll see what happens. Uh, as you said, you're involved in a couple of clinics. Have you seen um, patient expectations change over the years? Are they becoming more demanding? Do they, are they more educated? Well, I, th- I think generally people are more educated because there's a lot more information out there. But that doesn't mean to say that they really understand the subtleties of this because, yeah. you know, there's there's only actually, you know, only that I think the leading really well-trained practitioners who go out, been to all the conferences, have a lot of experience as well and have learned from, you know, because, uh, you know, everyone's face is different and you've got all sorts of different techniques, different products out there. Yeah. It can be confusing for practitioners, I think, to understand exactly what they can achieve through which technique, which are the right products. Yeah. So when you get to that level of subtlety, a consumer has absolutely no idea. Yeah. So they can see before and afters and kind of look, well, my face was like that before. Could I get to that after? But you're only going to get there with someone that really understands that market. You're not going to get there going and seeing a hairdresser or a beauty therapist for sure. Or someone that hasn't really invested in their training and expertise. Definitely. Thank you for that. One. Um, so obviously going back um, sustainability, I know it's a really big project currently you're doing. I know you set up a Facebook group, which I'm a member of. Yep. So you want to expand on what was the reasoning behind that and where do you want to take it forward? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've I've kind of been involved in building and growing three businesses and paid absolutely no attention to sustainability at all. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> well, that's it. Exactly. You know, it's it's difficult enough running a business anyway. And, you know, especially if you're trying to aggressively grow a business, uh, everything focuses around uh you know marketing systems hitting a level of problems trying to problem solve that to get to the next level and you know etc etc but it was only i suppose around about three years ago when my daughter uh who's a millennial um started off her business and she got a you know she's got a skincare business basically and she started to talk to me about skincare line that she was using where she was really unhappy around the, the packaging side of things none of it was sustainable recyclable or glossy packaging looked great you know um and i was was kind of like more aware of sustainability issues obviously as we all are i'm kind of going well why don't you go back to the manufacturer and you know talk talk to them about it i heard nothing about it at all okay obviously and she was kind of going well you know it was really really bugging her i could see that and she tried to do a number of other things in her business to kind of help from a sustainability perspective as well and from her own lifestyle she's a vegetarian um you know, and and all sorts of other things that she's kind of done. And uh, in the end, I said to her, so, well, look, why don't you look at trying to find some other brand that does fit into your ethics that you're happy with and promotes that more sustainability messaging? And she did do. And she said, well, Dad, she said, how how am I going to change all these people over? And I'm kind of going, well, yeah, good luck with that. Because she was (laughs) spending about £50,000 a year with this particular supplier. So not a small amount of money. 
Hmm. Put a lot of people onto that particular product, you know, line and brand and on repeat sales as well. So in essence, I just said, you're going to have to go out with your heart on your sleeve and tell them why you want to do this. And uh, and she did do through email marketing and through in-clinic marketing or whatever. And in three months, she changed 80% of her people across, not on performance or price, yeah, yeah. but on the sustainability messaging, which to me, then I went, oh, my God, I've been missing a trick here. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't kind of realized just how much the consumer had changed in terms of, right, if there's a couple of equivalents here, I'm probably going to put my money more towards something that's trying to do something to save the planet rather than just, you know, looking at price or performance. Okay, yeah. And then my other daughter who makes kimchi and sauerkraut, um, she started that business off about four years ago as well. And I mean, again, another vegetarian, millennial. And she was taking money, uh, she was taking, she takes products from food share, from fair share rather, that actually distributes overspills from supermarkets that goes out to charities. Yeah. But with vegetables, certain vegetable lines, they can't get rid of it before they'll spoil. And so she yeah. takes those products and then makes that into uh, sustainable food. Okay. Um, you know, kimchi and sauerkraut, which will last a, a year if you if you make it properly. Um, and then she then donated her profits back to Fair Share, which is a charity. So everything that she does around her marketing revolved around that. And I saw again with her Instagram and all of the stuff, how that resonated with her my audience and so i thought well god i really i'm missing a trick because yeah, yeah. in, in aesthetics nobody really talks about it do they no, so until I, thought, it up, I never no one mentioned it to me well that's it so i i went on and of course as a biologist anyway i mean my wife had been teaching about like climate change since the 80s you know so she she's very aware of the, all of that but of course although you talk to people about it most people don't really listen yeah. Um, or, or think that, you know, they need to make changes, but that's definitely changed now. So I went, um, I went on a course with the Cambridge Sustainability Institute around leadership with sustainability to actually educate myself a bit more about what was happening, why companies were changing. Yeah. And ultimately it came down to, there's a tipping point that we're at now. And rather than a lot of people, I think, who haven't really looked at this think, well, this is going to be time consuming and expensive. It's actually, People are looking at this as a profit motive. Yeah. And people are looking at this as a differential advantage. Yeah. And in many, many different sectors. Um, and I was kind of looking and going, actually, we're lagging behind this a bit, particularly in aesthetics. Because if you look at beauty, okay, they're mm. ahead of the game with this because beauty have looked at all the Mintel reports over the years. And the Mintel reports, particularly when you're looking at things like retail skincare. Yeah. are all looking at like the consumer wanting to make more ethical choices and choices around sustainability messaging. And so the British Beauty Council put together the, um, it was um, the Sus Sustainability Coalition um, in 2020. Yeah. And they published the Planet Positive Guide, which was all about educating consumers about buying stuff and avoiding greenwashing. So stuff that was more, more sustainable. Um, and since then as well, there's another level that's kind of gone in there. There's a B Corp Beauty Coalition, and that's around 50 plus companies that, that was formed in January 2020, 20, January 2022. And that's a coalition that's actually looking at pooling, I suppose, resources of companies that are trying to run their businesses in a, in a sustainable way as possible to kind of look at, I guess, at problem solving. Yeah. Because, you know, if every company goes at these things individually, well, it's going to be a waste of resources versus pooling, you know. 
So if you look at the beauty part of the market in inverted commas, it's well ahead of the game of aesthetics. But of course, it's all mixed in, isn't it? It's all the same game, really. Yeah. And the consumer doesn't delineate really between beauty and aesthetics at the end of the day. That's very clear. When you look at a beauty salon that would have the same service menu as a medically aesthetic clinic nowadays. Yeah. So I was kind of looking and going, actually, aesthetics is way, way past, you know, not really paying attention to this. I've been writing articles on it talking at events yeah. and obviously, you know, talking to people like you, Harry, as well, and cut the message, get the message out there to kind of go, actually clinics ought to be thinking about this and thinking what they can do. Um, and, and from my perspective, why I'm targeting clinic owners or salon owners as well is because it can make the greatest change from a, a bigger perspective. Yeah. Clinic owners uh, have suppliers that they can talk to about this and ask them what they're doing. And they can influence thousands of, of customers through their social media, whether they're customers or followers as well, yeah. by talking about the stuff that they're doing, which hopefully will um, spark some of those to do something themselves yeah, as well. Definitely. Yeah. So if I'm a clinic owner and I want to take part, how do I get involved or where do I find more information on what I can do? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's loads of information out there. Um, Federation of Small Businesses has, for instance, lots of information for every type of business about things that you can change yeah. um, and, and move towards a more sustainable business practice. Um, the actual, the B Corp Beauty, okay, which is probably the Nadir, or sorry, the B Corp, not B Corp Beauty, B Corp, yeah. is probably the Nadir of companies who are aiming to run in the most sustainable fashion has a downloadable kind of 400 questions that you would need to go through <laughs> an evidence to get B-Call certified. I'm not saying you do that, but it gives you- How many PPD hours do you get? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> it, gives you, it gives you some idea of how you should be running your business. And I'm not suggesting that you would, any clinic owner will get B-Call certified. It's probably more for the suppliers. Okay. Um, doing simple things like looking at, you know, your business. And of course, there's a big motivation now around, um, you know, saving money with energy. Yeah. And some businesses can be quite energy hungry, especially if they're running a suite of lasers. Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got heat in the winter and lasers as well. Um, I mean, if you have control over your uh, building, then investing certainly in solar, which I did a couple of years ago, and made a massive difference mm. to my electricity bill. Yeah. Um, is actually uh, a cost-effective way, I think, of of uh, of starting to get into that you know line of messaging and doing something. I mean, air source heat pumps, you know, that kind of stuff as well. So maybe having a look at that. If not, if you don't have control over it, talking to your landlord about this, for instance, as well. Yeah. Um, or doing something where you start to look at how you can you know use energy more efficiently um you know uh i mean even these you know all these machines in standby mode will generally will actually you know, little things like that yeah. um i think a big impact that clinics can have is around how they deal with suppliers yeah um and i think you know if you look back uh, the, the probably the, the biggest advantage of advantage or biggest thing that came out of the pandemic was around people utilizing this type of medium zoom yeah, yeah. and other types of devices where people became more comfortable around having meetings and doing business this way. Yeah. And 
you know, I've run a sales team as well. And I've been there at the forefront as a sales rep many years ago where I've driven easily four or five hours to go and see someone. And sometimes on occasion as well, even though that appointment was confirmed the day before, they've just been too busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine the environmental impact of that and the time impact is huge. So I would say that unless it's a training event or you've got to have an instant, you know, a demo on site with the machine, try and do the business development stuff remotely. The companies will be happier because they won't, you know, be much more efficient for the whoever's involved in business development. And you'll have saved probably, you know, across a suite of people over a year, over the, a year, thousands of miles. Yeah, yeah. Thousands, yeah. literally. They say simple things like that. And yeah, doing so simple. Like that, you just sort of air quality improve. Oh, um, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I've been there as a clinic owner as well. You know, you normally demand that someone comes and sees you. You know, yeah. you've got to come to my, my business. But I really don't think there's a need for that necessarily nowadays. Um, you know, maybe looking at if you're into skincare, um, you know, the products, you know, your skincare products, particularly uh, if you're looking at, um, for instance, sunscreens. Yeah. Um, you know, we live on an island <laughs> surrounded yeah. by water. Uh, marine pollution is a big problem. Um, yeah. It's part of the one of the government's sustainability development. Well, there's 17 sustainability development goals, and one of them is around water and, and pollution. Our government is responsible for trying to clean up our water base. Um, Sunscreen, um, particularly those with oxybenzone in, uh, nano zinc and titanium, which generally have been promoted more to the cosmetic industry and being as being more cosmetic appeal, cosmetically appealing, generally not great from an environmental perspective. So there are you'll see quite a lot of what what they will call reef friendly sunscreens that are actually being promoted now. But if you're not even aware of the argument as a as as a clinician selling yeah. skincare, where generally, especially if you're medically led, people would expect you to actually understand the science a bit more than maybe your average retail outlet. Yeah. <laughs> that would, I say, be something to look at. Definitely. Um, you know, outside of what, I'm, you know, the packaging and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you look at fillers, for instance, as well, uh, there's a product, uh, I won't name it, but there is a product that uh, has, has been built from the bottom up in terms of looking at being more sustainable okay. uh, and, and particularly looked around the packaging of that. So, you know, and I know as well that, you know, when you when you get a lot of the mills of filler, they come in great big boxes, yeah. Yeah. you know, which from a clinic perspective is a real hassle because generally most clinics don't like have a lot of storage space, you know, you're struggling to find place. And particularly as well as you know, it works, you know, you'll get um, either a supplier or a, or a distributor kind of going, you know, buying a load and we'll make it less expensive. So you can stock up on this stock and not know where to, you know, put it. But particularly, you know, if you, if you run a busy clinic, you can be putting bag loads of, of stuff that's not recyclable are, are you know a, a yeah. way out out to, to, to go into landfill and there was one company that basically has pulled together uh, a product that basically puts four syringes in the same size packaging as, as most would have one in wow. that's good. So if you think about that from a carbon perspective okay so if you're i mean all of these products come from abroad yeah if they're flown in it's awful um 
even container led, you know, it's still not great, obviously. But if you think about being able to compress that down, you, you've got like four containers versus one container, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Just on doing a little bit more on packaging. It's not rocket science, but, you know, yeah. as well as actually providing something that fits more neatly in your clinic shelves. Yeah. So there's a win-win, always. Definitely. So, yeah. Because yeah, I know um, you post um, a lot of useful stuff, links and reports in your Facebook group. Yeah. Um, if people want to join that, what's the name of the Facebook group and how can they find it? It's just called Sustainability and Aesthetics, and it's on Facebook. So if you just type that in, probably the only group called that. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, you know, and again, I'm just trying to. All I'm trying to do here is to stimulate debate, stimulate a bit of change, get people to think about it, um, and think about this from a marketing point of view as well, because I firmly believe that there's an opportunity for every clinic in every town and city to become the most eco aesthetic clinic in their area. Yeah, definitely. And nobody's doing that at the moment. And and if you think about social media and marketing and all that kind of stuff, most people spend, you know, trying to think about ways of going, I'm the best at this. I'm an expert at this. Come to me because I can solve this problem or whatever, but don't necessarily talk about their business from an holistic perspective and look at how they run their business. Yeah. And look at that, you know, it's not just about profit. Um, I am also doing stuff here that I'm thinking about how I'm running my business in as an ethical way. Most of the staff in clinics are like that millennial age as well. Yeah. And they're looking for businesses that are thinking about doing this kind of stuff as well. Mm. So again, it's quite competitive now. If you're looking at particularly, I would say, laser-trained Therapists, that's that's a big thing that's changed over the years. The amount that they can command in terms of wages is a lot higher. Okay. Um, and so, you know, having something there where you can uh, be in an, a different level of attraction apart from just wages, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That you are looking at your business from a more holistic perspective can resonate with, with millennials as well. So there's an advantage from a staff perspective there as well. Yeah, because obviously we always talk about USP and we get delegates say there's so much competition and then... If you can stand out, as you said, being the most eco-friendly clinic in your town or area. Absolutely. Well, the other thing as well, if you think about this, Harry, and I know you love marketing as well, is that, you know, you you would then start to notice other businesses in your area that are doing the same messaging. You start to engage with them. You can then start to look at pulling together other things that can help from a PR perspective, a marketing perspective, joint promotion, sponsoring a community garden. I mean, there's a million things that you can do. Definitely. If you look out for this, that you can talk about, you can imagine sponsoring a community garden, like on a permaculture basis where people are putting together um, a community area where you're focusing more on food production rather than aesthetics, but aesthetics can come into it. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, Im imagine sponsoring that rather than years ago, people used to talk about sponsoring roundabouts in towns, didn't they? You remember that? Yeah. yeah. And having a plaque there and putting a tree in or something like that. So, you know, this is this this is much more, I think, impactful. Um, so there's lots of things that you can do that would just elevate you so much above any other aesthetic clinic if you just get to grips with it. Definitely. No, thank you for that, Tess. I've been writing lots of notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I implement some. So um, going back to business, what was the best advice or one of the best advice you got when you were starting your own businesses? Uh, I think to 
outsource administrative functions that were um, not a good use of my time that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. So, you know, when I started off, it's probably where most people do, they try and do absolutely everything because it's all on a shoestring. So, you know, I had to learn double entry bookkeeping, for instance, which is (laughs) no fun at all. Um, So that was the first thing I outsourced. Yep. Um, The thing as well was to invest in my learning. Um, So I'm not a marketeer by, you know, I'm a scientist by education, really. But I think that gives you an inquiring mind and and to understand that you can't know everything. Absolutely. And but, you know, willing to invest to learn from people the um, know more than you about a particular subject uh, yeah. until you, you know, so you understand it. So I've always invested in my own education in all sorts of different areas. And, uh, you, you know, if you don't, I, I, I just don't think it's possible to actually um move forward in the right way because there's so many things to learn and as you know it's become more complicated whether that is looking at what you do which i'm sure is very well just looking at advancements and finer is in techniques yeah. and as new products come through you look at all these new toxins well you know is there an advantage around that are we looking at longevity issues the longevity side of things could be actually a real game changer in terms of looking at how you differentiate or promote in that area yeah. you know if you're looking at less frequent injections uh then that's certainly an advantage from a consumer perspective yeah um so you know there's all those things where people think if they don't go to events they don't learn from people at the forefront of this they just kind of stay stagnant with their yeah you got to come in once every yeah, three yeah. months and you know whatever now so, big events yeah learning or uh, when my wife looks at how much i spend on annual courses and conferences he has a heart attack but <laughs> yeah you've got to grow if you're not growing you're going backwards Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, so what advice would you give to someone just starting out in the set They're going to open their business. Um, no patience, starting from scratch. What advice would you give them? I would say think really hard about what you're trying to achieve and why. So a lot of people, I think, come into this thinking this is quite an easy game. Yeah. Um, and um you know, the market's growing. And I think I do believe the market is growing. There's no doubt about it. But it's also extremely competitive now compared to 10 years ago. Mm. You're going to come in with a defined strategy. And I think a lot of people don't have a proper strategy, either around looking at what what am I trying to build and why? So that's from a financial perspective as well. You know, what what is this business? What, what do I need out of this business from a financial perspective? And literally working that out. So kind of going, well, you know, what do I need in the short term and what am I hoping for in the longer term from a lifestyle and aspirational perspective, yeah. amount, money, house, all that kind of stuff. And maybe even an end game as well, an exit game. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't think about that. And I think that's worth thinking through and talking to someone that understands that language. Yeah. Um, for a start. And then the next thing is going, you can't compete in all of these areas and be good at all of these areas. Yeah. So as we already discussed, I think the injectables is a sweet port spot and the sweet, you know, part around that. And and I believe this, you know, the face uh, and maintaining that from a skin health and contouring and lines and wrinkle perspective is very attractive because it's a repeat business model yeah. versus, you know, laser hair removal where after six to eight treatments, you might have a top up every couple of years. Yeah, you yeah. see what I mean? So be very focused around what you're trying to do. 
don't copy anyone else because you think it's their uh, key opinion leader for this, that, or the other, whatever, <laughs> without thoroughly investigating that concept yeah, and course. really understanding the ins and outs of it. And particularly with any equipment, understanding how much you're going to have to spend from a marketing perspective and what the true market potential is for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I think just pray basically a bit more investigation and groundwork <laughs> rather than just jumping in. That's it, yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Like a lot of people, their business or clinics runs their life and it need to do that. Obviously, design your business around your life because maybe, yeah, you just want to work two days a week. You, you may just want to see... 100 patients a month, etc. There's no right or wrong answer. It's what you want. There isn't. And and you know what? I, I still think that whole sweet spot, um, and it was there 25 years ago, and I know some nurses actually were back longer than then who were back in the late 80s with collagen. Yeah. Still going strong, who still do their beauty salons that they still got, you know, great relationships with their clients with. And they do that a few days a week and they've been smart with their money invested in property. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't know they were there, but yeah. low-risk, wealthy individuals who have total control over their time yeah. in terms of what they want to do and when they want to do it and the money that they need to do it with. And that's yeah. that's smart. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, What's your biggest pet peeve in the aesthetics industry? Um. I've got a lot. Uh, <laughs> I think I think just the lack of control around what's happened with all of this, and this is at all, all angles, you know, ranging from, I, I suppose, the governmental perspective, you know, but things that don't make sense. I mean, how can you have a filler with lignocaine in that's not a prescription medicine? Yeah. Uh, no, no sense at all, is it? There's no logic there at all. When water for injection is prescri prescribable. So yeah. how does that work? Um CE marking or even FDA approval. I mean, if you look at FDA approval, that is not perfect. And 501Ks doesn't mean to say that that machine has been fully evaluated in terms of efficacy and safety. Okay. Um, big holes in that. So I think a lot of people kind of buy these things thinking they've been thoroughly researched and well-researched. And well. And when at the end of the day, more often than not, actually they're, they're there with their clients being guinea pigs for yeah, a lot yeah. of concepts and that's at every level uh, and, and, and another level alibaba level it's even worse as yeah. you know you know um getting equipment where where you no idea what the power output is on a laser and you burn people or you got no no training or it's, it's ridiculous so i just think i think my biggest peeve is the, the fact that everything's been dumbed down yeah um from what should have been and it was in the early days really medically led and led by suppliers that had invested i think a lot in a lot more in terms of the technologies and the concepts and the evidence behind them yeah and it, it still happened nowadays like i won't name the machine but a couple of my delegates said oh we've got this machine for 10 grand it normally sells for 80 from china do you want in on it <laughs> and the, the buck stops with them if something goes wrong with the patient they're going to have a professional hearing it's not going to be the manufacturers defending you no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day as well, you know, uh, and in fact, there there is no, you know, as a business person, once you give your money to a supplier, you've got no recourse on that um, at all. So and, and most of the suppliers, once you've got their, they, they've got your money, are generally not interested. 
uh, you know, it's it's tough. They're on to the next person to sell that piece of equipment too. Yeah. Um, but there you go. We won't end on a negative, so um, end no. on a positive, a bit of fun. Um, have you ever posted a TikTok video? Not yet. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah. I'll get there one day. I'm banned from TikTok by my kids, so I'm not allowed to post anything. <laughs> Uh, no, no, thank you, Ron. It's gone really quick, the time. Um, Especially the sustainability bit, everyone can do. Because, yeah, I had that before interviewing you today. I thought, yes, I've made grand, big changes to the factors. But as you said, there's a small change in solar power, turning machines off, et cetera, that you can make a difference. And then, yeah, speaking to manufacturers. Yeah. So if people, um, first, thank you, Ron, for giving up your valuable time. And if people want to find out more information, how can they contact you or find where you are? Yeah, I mean, uh, sustainability and aesthetics is probably the best group. If not, if anyone wants to contact me directly, by all means, I'm happy to have a chat. So it's Ron Myers. It's 07734101274. Give me a bell. <laughs> Very good. Give me your mobile number out. Okay, that's, yep. I'll, no put problem. That, I'll put that on Tinder later on. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Thank you, Ron, for giving up the time. It's made loads of notes. We'll implement that stuff in the clinic. We'll definitely be the most eco-friendly clinic in our area from now Fabulous. on. Fabulous. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, I look forward to seeing that and tracking that, Harry. And uh, yeah. a case study in your next talk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think, and I, and I think, you, you know, you're, you are obviously in a position to influence an awful lot of people, yeah. yourself as well. So I think being there as someone that is pioneering in your area around this yeah. and talking about your journey, none of this is going to be perfect and easy necessarily as well. And there'll be some things that you won't be able to change, but you know, the things that you can and the things that you can, you know, then I wouldn't recommend talking about this to your clients until you've really got to grips with this and educated yourself. Yeah. But the thing, once you have, you can start to drip feed that into your messaging and start to talk about it. And I can guarantee you it will have nothing more than an, extremely positive impact on your existing and potentially future customers i'll be like you my kids are 17 and 15 and they talk about it all the time that's what they learn at school so they always telling me oh, putting that in the wrong bin don't use that etc so well that's they... it gen z coming up even more so so you know i, I just don't think any of us it, none of this is about whether this is a good idea or whether we should do it it's just when ultimately definitely yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Ron. My pleasure. All right, Harry, and I hope to see you at uh, some event at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely.